Awesome. So this is a seven-minute overview of the book of Ruth. I'm going to teach on Ruth today for just a minute, but check it out. The book of Ruth, it's a brilliant work of theological art, and it invites us to reflect on the question of how God is involved in the day-to-day -day joys and hardships of our lives. There are three main characters in the book, Naomi the widow, Ruth the Moabite, and Boaz the Israelite farmer. And their story is told in four chapters that are beautifully designed. Let's just dive in and see how this all unfolds. Chapter one opens with this line, in the days when the judges ruled. And it reminds us of the very dark and difficult days from the book of Judges. And here we meet an Israelite family in Bethlehem, struggling to survive through a famine. And so in search of food, they move on to the land of Moab, Israel's ancient enemy. And there, the father of the family dies, and the sons marry two Moabite women, Ruth and Orpah. And then the sons, they die too. And so they leave only Naomi and these new daughters-in-law. And so Naomi, she has no reason to stay anymore, and so she tells her new daughters-in-law that she's moving back home. And Naomi, she knows that the life of an unmarried foreign widow in Israel is going to be very hard, and so she compels the women to stay behind. Orpah agrees. But Ruth does not. She shows remarkable loyalty to Naomi. And she says, wherever you go, I'm going to go. Your people will become my people, and your God will become my God. And so the two of them return to Israel together. And the chapter concludes with Naomi changing her name to Mara, which means bitter in Hebrew. And she laments her tragic fate. Chapter 2 begins with Naomi and Ruth discussing where they're going to find Food. And it just so happens to be the beginning of the barley harvest. And so Ruth goes out to look for food, and it just so happens that she ends up picking grain in the field of a man named Boaz, who just so happens to be Naomi's relative. We're told that Boaz is a man of noble character, and he notices Ruth. And so after finding out more about her story, he shows remarkable generosity to her. He makes these special provisions so that the immigrant Ruth can gather grain in his field. And in doing so, Boaz is actually obeying an explicit command of the Torah to show generosity to the immigrant and the poor. Boaz is so impressed by Ruth's loyalty to Naomi. He prays for her that God will reward her for her boldness. So Ruth comes home that day, and Naomi finds out that she met Boaz, and she is thrilled. She says Boaz is their family redeemer. Now, this family redeemer thing, this was a cultural practice in Israel where if a man in the family died and he left behind a wife or children or land, it was the family redeemer's responsibility to marry that widow, to take up the land and protect that family. So Naomi, she begins to hope that perhaps there might still be a future for her family. Chapter 3 begins with Naomi and Ruth making a plan to get Boaz to notice their situation. So Ruth is going to stop wearing clothes of a grieving widow, and she's going to show signs that she's available to be married. And so Ruth goes to meet Boaz on the farm that night. And as she approaches, Boaz wakes up, and he's totally startled. And Ruth makes her intentions very clear. She asks if Boaz will redeem Naomi's family and marry Boaz is once again amazed by Ruth's loyalty to Naomi and her family, and he calls Ruth a woman of noble character. It's the same term used to describe the woman of Proverbs 31. So Boaz tells Ruth to wait until the next day, and he will redeem both Ruth and Naomi legally before the town elders. And so the chapter ends with Ruth returning to Naomi, and they marvel together at all of these recent events. 
in chapter four, it all comes together. It turns out at the last minute, Boaz discovers there is a family member who's closer to Naomi than he is, and he's actually eligible before him to redeem the family. But at the last second, this family member finds out that he's going to have to marry Ruth, the Moabite, and so he declines. But Boaz, remember, he knows Ruth's true character, and so he acquires the family property of Naomi, and he marries Ruth. And so just at the beginning, how Ruth was loyal to Naomi's family, so now Boaz is loyal to Naomi's family as well. The story concludes with a reversal of all of the tragedies from chapter 1. So the death of the husband and the sons is reversed as Ruth is married again and gives birth to a new son, granting joy to Naomi. And this symmetry between the opening and the closing, it's even more remarkable. So remember, the opening tragedy was followed by a great act of loyalty on the part of Ruth. And that is now matched by Boaz's act of loyalty that leads to the family's final restoration. And this symmetry, it highlights the design of the internal chapters as well. So each of the chapters begins with Naomi and Ruth making a plan for their future. And that's followed by a providential meeting between Ruth and Boaz. And each chapter concludes with Naomi and Ruth rejoicing at what's taken place. This story is beautifully designed. And that design actually connects with a really interesting feature of the story. And that's how little God is mentioned. Right, the characters talk about God a few times, but the narrator actually never once mentions God doing anything directly in the story. And that's its brilliance. Because God's providence is at work behind every scene of this story, weaving together the circumstances and choices of all these characters. So Naomi, her tragedy leads her to think that God is punishing her. But actually, the whole story is about God's mission to restore her and her family. And he's doing so through Ruth, through her boldness and loyalty, which brings healing to Naomi's life. But not without Boaz, who's a no-nonsense farmer, who's full of generosity and loyalty. And so God uses his integrity combined with Ruth's boldness to save Naomi and her family. And so this story brilliantly explores the interplay of God's purposes and will with human decisions and will. God weaves together the faithful obedience of his people to bring about his redemptive purposes in the world. And that leads to the real end of the story. The book of Ruth concludes with a genealogy showing how Boaz and Ruth's son, Oved, was the grandfather of King David, from whom came the lineage of the Messiah. And so all of a sudden, these seemingly mundane, ordinary events in this story are woven into God's grand story of redemption for the whole world. And so the book of Ruth invites us to consider how God might be at work in the very ordinary, mundane details of our lives as well. And that's what the yeah. book of Ruth is all about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's what we've been talking about. We've been talking about how God is at work even when you don't necessarily see him. Oftentimes we think of God being at work in terms of like doing something godly. But what, we're, what we've been talking about is how whenever we value people, honestly, how we treat people and how we respond to people, even if the name of God is not mentioned, even if God's not mentioned, he can still be moving in your life. And so last week we talked about how, how the fact that God um, um, saw the Shunammite woman and God wanted to bless the Shunammite woman. She was rich in terms of her money, but she was poor in terms of her family. And so God sent along the path of the Shunammite woman, sent along a path of somebody who needed her help. 
And so when she was available, when she made herself available, when she practiced availability and she saw the needs of somebody else, we learned that, it was, that that was actually not only God's way of meeting the needs of that person over there, but it was also God's way of meeting the Shunammite woman's needs. And so here at City Chapel, we were in this sermon series called People Are Worth It. We believe that, 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 that the way that we treat people actually determines the work of God in our life. You cannot separate how you treat people and how God treats you. Well, anyway, that's, 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 that's a good point, but you, you don't have to say amen because it's perfectly fine. You're, 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 you're Americans, so you are entitled to... It's really all about you, actually. I'm sorry. I, I, this is the wrong sermon. This is, the, this is like God wants to make you comfortable and build your life so beautiful so that you can ignore the rest of the world for the rest of your life. Oh, I'm sorry. Never mind. Back to Scripture. Ruth teaches us that our lives, we are here to help other people. And whatever you spend on people, people are worth it. Just this past Tuesday night, we had a bunch of our city chapel folks right here in this very room. It didn't look anything like this, but we had a PTA event here at the Williams Elementary School. And there are actually so many, William, so many um, city chapel folks with our shirts and stuff, we just kind of took over. We fed, we, 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 we ran the food line, we, we took care of the jumpy castles. Yeah, 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 there we are. And um, we're showing up and we're serving and the PTA folks just kind of got to hang out with the kids and with their kids with other families and and a bunch of families from the from from the community were here and we are serving not because we were trying to recruit anybody and not because we're trying to proselytize but we are simply we simply believe that people are worth the effort people are worth the sacrifice people are worth coming out on Tuesday night on a rainy night in order to serve some chips and 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 Doritos and Fritos and all that kind of thing in order to bless people because we are here to bless people. We are here to help people. We are here to reach out to people. And in fact, I would say that even though God is not mentioned in the book of Ruth by the narrator, God actually is seen in the actions of the people who are close to him. This is how God reveals himself to South Austin. This is how God reveals himself to Texas. This is how God reveals himself to the United States of America and to this world is through people. And I don't know, but sometimes I think, I think we've done enough preaching in terms of preaching at people, and we just need to show people who God is. And so last week we talked about being available. Being available means you're watching for the needs of others. You're using the wealth that God has given you in whatever area that is to meet the needs of others. Oftentimes we get distracted with our wealth. We use it to try to comfort ourselves and try to distract us from our poverty. But, but when we use our wealth and our generosity in order to meet the needs of others, God actually meets our needs. And so we saw that. We saw just the, just the, the nature in which God blesses us is through the way that we treat people because God thinks people are very important. God thinks people are worth it. And of course, whenever you talk about people, to people, people never think you're talking about them. <laughs> but I'm talking to you. You're worth it. God thinks you're worth it. God thinks the shedding of his blood. God thinks coming to earth and living a sinless life and dying a sinner's death and raising from the dead on the third day. He thinks that you are worth that. And so that's why we're here, because people are worth it. Whatever we waste, whatever we spend, whatever we give, whatever we uh, pour out, we pour out our lives for people because people are worth it. And, and there's great benefit to us. God always makes sure that whoever blesses people, they get blessed in return. And so this week we saw how Ruth, how Ruth uh, not only does, is she generous, but she is loyal. 
And so today, last week I talked about people are worth noticing. Today I want to talk about people are worth the commitment. People are worth committing to. And we're talking about um, marriage today specifically, obviously, because we have a vow renewal. And um, just so we don't steal everybody's thunder at the end of service, I'll just tell you right now that today is um, Jim and Cheryl's 40th wedding anniversary, June 5th. Is their 40th wedding anniversary, yeah. And um, several others are celebrating 32 years, several others are. And so I, I'm, I'm excited about everybody that's going to come down and renew their vows. And really when you renew your vows, just reaffirming um, that I'm still here, I'm still committed, and we're still in love. Um, and, and that's good. But honestly, the story of Ruth is not a story about marriage. Ruth is not committed to Naomi because she marries Naomi. There's no marriage involved between Ruth and Naomi. What we're talking about here is loyalty. We're talking about somebody that came into Ruth's life that was going to bring her closer to God, that was going to take her away from Moab to the place, to the people of God, somebody that was going to bring her closer to God that she decided she made a decision to commit to. She made a decision to be loyal to. And I think, I think one of the things that's missing in our current culture is, of course, this idea of loyalty or commitment. Uh, when, 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 when Ruth committed to Naomi, she wasn't committing for what she could get out of Naomi. Um, she's from Moab. In fact, the, the, the Hebrew scholars believe that Ruth was, was, was from the royal family in the country of Moab. So she had connections. She had a place to live. She had friends. She had extent. She had family there. And so when she committed to Naomi, she was not looking out for her best interest. And that is the first point of loyalty. Loyalty always looks to the needs of others. Loyalty looks to meet the needs of somebody that God has put in our lives. And we need that. You need, you need to find those relationships. If you're married today, that's easy. Your spouse, you need to be loyal to your spouse. Um, not, just, not just when you feel like it, but see, like you, you always feel like it on your wedding day because, because you spent you know, hours and days and months planning this beautiful day and all the makeup is just right and the dress is just right and everything is just, and all your friends are there. And of course you feel like it at that point, but when you make that commitment, what you're saying is I'm making it a commitment, which means I'm choosing uh, before, before I get into the situation, how I'm going to act in the situation. I'm, I'm making a decision right now when I feel like it, and my decision is that even when I don't feel like it, I'm still going to be here. I'm still going to hold true to my commitment. That's what commitment is. Commitment is making a decision before you get to that place. And that's what it means to commit to Jesus. That's what it means to make a commitment to Jesus, to make a decision that regardless of what comes up in my life or how I might change or how my world might change, I am going to keep on following Jesus. That's the base commitment that everybody, that we hope everybody will make. Because when you, when you make that commitment, what, what you do is you say, like, it doesn't matter how I feel tomorrow. I've, I've already made a commitment. And our, our culture really struggles with this because our culture wants to do what we feel like doing at the time. And so we're happy to make commitments when we feel like it. But as soon as we don't feel like it anymore, then we no longer think that the commitment holds true. But commitment is not based on feeling. Commitment is based on a decision in your will, which is different than your feeling. And so Ruth makes a decision. And we know that this was not an easy decision because it's a long journey. First of all, it's a long journey from Moab to Bethlehem. And these are, these are two women making that journey, sharing a bathroom, sharing toiletries, two women by themselves out in the middle of the wilderness, a daughter and mother-in-law, 
And we know that this is not necessarily the easiest decision that Ruth has ever made in her life. It would have been easier to go back and live with mom and dad. Come on, some 22-year-old. Give me an amen. Just shout it out if you or parents of 20. I don't know. But anyway, uh, moving on. It would have been easier to go back and live with mom and dad. But instead, she, she, she commits to Naomi. Why? Because Naomi's going to make that journey. Naomi's going to make that journey, and what her commitment says is that I value you so much, Naomi, that I am committing to your journey. That's what loyalty is. You look at somebody and you say, look, your struggles are now my struggles. Your difficulties are my difficulties. Your sleepless nights are my sleepless nights. I'm not just here where I can receive something from you. I'm not just here whenever, whenever it's convenient for me, but I am making a commitment that, that I am going to commit to your journey. And it's a process. She walks through this journey with, with, with Naomi. They're, they're, they, they, they take the long journey from, from Moab to Bethlehem. And then even once they get to Bethlehem, the journey doesn't stop there. They, 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 they get there and they realize, hey, we, we have no food. We have no way to make, to make a living. And all this time, Naomi feels like she is being judged by God. She feels like she has been cursed by God, like God has judged her for leaving Jerusalem, for, 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 for leaving Judah, for leaving the place of God. She feels like God has judged her, and so she renames herself. But there are a lot of people who feel like God has judged them, and they have renamed themselves, but I think we need to make a commitment to people. I think we need to choose loyalty to people. When we choose loyalty to people, what we're saying is, uh, you might think that God's judging you. You might think that God has abandoned you. You might feel like, like, like all of your life is falling apart, yet I see value in you. I don't think God's condemning you. I think God is drawing you. Like, like Ruth, even though she's not a Christian, even though she's not a follower of God, Ruth is actually closer to the heart of God than even Naomi is. And that's what it means to be loyal. That, that's what it means. It means when somebody doubts what God thinks about them, you come in and you keep the focus of what God believes about them. So God, God is not judging you, Naomi. God is drawing you. God's not condemning you. He's calling you. You are far away, absolutely, but we can make the journey back together. Sometimes God allows stuff to die in our lives that keep us away from him. He allows things to fall away and to fall aside, and maybe those are things that you love. Maybe those are things that you thought that you couldn't live without, but to commit to somebody means that even when all that stuff has fallen out and they have nothing to give you and they don't even have anything to believe about themselves, you come alongside of them and you say, actually, I think you're so valued. You are valuable enough to be restored, not to be dropped off. God is working still in your life, even though you haven't been to church in forever, even though you, you haven't even prayed in forever, and even though you haven't seen like any healings or any all the, and stuff's falling apart. I still believe that God values you enough that he's actually trying to bring you back to where you need to go. So I'm going to walk that journey with you. I'm going to take the steps with you. City Chapel, that's really what we do as a church. We, we walk with people. Uh, we, don't, we, don't, we don't judge people. We don't make them conform. 
uh, to some standard of living, we walk with people. We see value inside of people. And we say that we think that God is, has valued you so much that he's not forsaken you. He's not left you. Anything that's falling apart in your life, anything that you're losing in your life, God obviously didn't think you needed it. And so we'll just let that go, and we will hold your hand. We will walk with you back to a place of restoration people who are ready to walk, people who are ready to make that journey have been joining us for the past year and a half. And it's, and it's been awesome to see the restoration happening. It's been awesome to see God moving in their life and taking them from a place of barrenness, of bitterness, <laughs> where they call themselves bitter. I am bitter. What does that mean? That means God has treated me this way, and I don't think he should have treated me that way. I'm bitter. I'm not better. I'm bitter. I can't believe God did me like this. I can't believe my life worked out like this. I can't believe my husband left me like that. I can't believe my kids treated me like that. And they're bitter. And bitter people are some of the hardest people to get along with. And so Ruth is traveling this road with somebody who's bitter. Man, somebody who's bitter, it's like everything you say is just wrong. <laughs> Have you noticed that? You can look at them and your look is wrong. There's something about your look, something about your eyes. This isn't the time to be jabbing anybody. Don't. This just look straight ahead. Straight ahead, straight ahead, straight ahead. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's like it's like a wounded animal, right? It's like it's like they just they just automatically think you're the bad guy. They just automatically assume your intentions are are skewed. I mean, all the time, and we run into this all the time in Austin. Anytime somebody finds out that I'm a pastor, I usually try not to tell them because as soon as I tell them, they start looking at me like, oh, okay, what do you want? You're gonna try to get me say, I'm not. It's like, no, no, no. Like I, I I'm, I'm just a good person. I like you, and and I just want the best for you. I want the best for you, and it's not about trying to get people to conform to something. It's about will, being willing to walk alongside bitter people. And sometimes the, the bitter people in your life are, it's, it's, it's interesting, it's the exact link that Ruth needed to get her to where God wanted her to go. When Ruth was a little child growing up in Moab, she could not imagine, she could not know what God had planned for her. And that's what scripture says. No eye has seen or ear has heard what the Lord has in store for those who love him. She couldn't have known what God had planned for for her, that she would be the great, 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 great grandmother of David. And then David would, through David's lineage, the Messiah would come. And 2,000, actually 3,000 years later from Ruth's story, people would be sitting in Austin, Texas, talking about her faith and her loyalty. She had no way of knowing what God had planned for her. And God never told her. God never came down in a dream. God didn't send a prophet, even though we believe in prophets and we believe in dreams. But God didn't do any of that. All God did was put somebody in her life and he asked her to be loyal to that person. <laughs> and when she was loyal to Naomi, she didn't know it, but Naomi, her loyalty was the link, the missing link in her destiny. It was the missing link for what God wanted to do in her life. And so I believe in loyalty. I don't, I don't believe in abusive relationships, but I believe in being loyal to people that God has put in your life for a reason. I believe in, 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 in sticking with commitment. Uh, I, was, I was fresh out of Bible college. Um, I had a, a two-year associate degree from, from a liberal arts school, and then, and then I had a four-year Bible college degree. And in 2004, I graduated Bible college uh, with a major in, in Christian ministry, a minor in New Testament Greek. I was ready to go. I had about 20 people back in my hometown of Michigan that wanted me to plant a church. And 
I think some of them are probably watching online right now. They join us every Sunday. And uh, they wanted me to go back and plant the church. And so I was ready, gearing up. And, 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 but I kind of felt like I wasn't quite ready. And thank God, because I was not ready at all. Um, I kind of felt like maybe I'm not. Maybe there's some things that I need to learn. And so I really wanted to go to West Virginia where my pastor was, Pastor James Wright, who is one of our overseers now. He, he planted a huge church. grew to about 2,500 people every Sunday. I loved preaching there. They loved me. I wanted to go there. And so I went and talked to Pastor Wright. And he said, I'm sorry, I don't have a position position for you right now, but I'd love to hire you on um, soon. I, I, I really do want to hire you. I said, great. And so I came down to Louisiana, or as they call it, Louisiana, um, to do a six-week internship program with a, with a, with a minister. I always, how, how, how do you describe it? He's a traveling preacher, Tommy Tenney. He wrote, he's also an author. He wrote God Chasers, God Catchers, a bunch of books I loved. And so I wanted to go kind of hang out with him, steal all his sermons, you know, and then go back and plant a church. That was kind of my, 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 my plan. And so I came down here for six weeks and toward the end of the six weeks, God spoke to me. And I remember exactly where he spoke to me. He was like, I'm going to offer you a job. You're not going to want to take it, but you need to take it. And so anyway, to make a really long story short, Tommy offered me a job as his personal assistant. Now, personal assistant sounds glamorous because you're traveling 250 different events a year. You're staying on the concierge level. You have a black American Express card. And um, yeah, it sounds glamorous. It's like the worst job in the world. Personal assistant means like, you know how I, I had a five page job description. Uh, my, my job description was five pages and there was like 10 different as needed, like the bullet point said as needed, you know, which that just means that he just owns you, you know, like you're his personal slave. That's kind of what you are. And like, you just, you do everything. And Tommy had this, all these expectations and the learning curve was like this. And man, it was, it was tough. And the first two months were probably the worst. And, um, you know, I was, you know, it was, it was those kind of moments where like you wish you hadn't been born kind of stuff. You know what I'm saying? Like, like you just, it's just, it's just, because I've never failed at stuff before. I've always been good at stuff because I'm awesome. And this job just completely confronted my view of awesomeness. And suddenly I was awful. I went from awesome to awful, you know, it's like, just like that. And, and so about two months in, Pastor Wright calls me up, Harry, we have a job opening for you. Associate pastor will pay you this amount a year, which I still have never made in my life yet. And he says, I'm gonna pay you this amount a year. You're gonna, it's gonna be great. And I'm like, oh, I would love to Pastor Wright. But I committed to Tommy for a year when I when I signed on to this awful job I committed for a year and he said okay well I'll call what you know what what day is the year he called me the, to the day on the, the following year I ended up actually working for Tommy for two years um, because I had no way of knowing what God was going to do inside of me through that job I had no way of knowing uh, an, associate, an associate pastor would not have taught me what two years with the Tommy taught me. Uh, I mean, I like, like seriously, it was, it was, it was something else, but it, it, it did something inside me, taught me so much. And actually, and I, I had no way of knowing at that time that because I was working with Tommy, uh, you know, I would, I, I, this girl I was talking to online, um, she would give me her phone number and we would start talking. And because I was traveling so much, I happened to be in the town about an hour away from where she lived. And so when we were one time in Bakersfield, California, um, uh, Bethany came and picked me up and we went oh you thought I was gonna tell a different story didn't you <laughs> Bethany took me to in and out which all if you're from California I'm sorry but we like we we have a different doctrine than you in and out is not your savior he does you don't go to heaven because you eat it in and out anyway so she was so jazzed about it she took me to in and out and I learned that in and out is just a burger joint like kind of like McDonald's <gasps> 
It is. There's nothing special about it. You got Taco Bell, you got In-N-Out, you got McDonald's, you got Whataburger. And then you have other things like that, you know, out there. Yeah, that's the Texan version of In-N-Out is Whataburger. So I, I've now completely made all the enemies in the world. And so I realized that Bethany was crazy. And I said, I don't really want to talk to Bethany, which led me to meet up with another girl I was talking to named Rowena and completely ditch Bethany. It was meant to be. <laughs> so romantic. Um, and, you know, this, this, is, this, this, is, this is what I had no idea. I had no way of knowing that, that working for Tommy would, 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 would bring about me and Roe. And then Tommy hired Roe because Roe was going to have to leave the country because her visa had run out. And so, you know, I mean, just everything worked out for us to meet each other in court in the 10 months and, and eventually marry. And, I mean, all the things that God has planned for you, you don't know if you live by what you feel. You're going to have to commit to somebody. You're going to have to commit to a spouse. You're going to have to, if you, if you have kids, man, you need to commit to your kids. Even when they're stinkers and rotters, as Roe would say, you got to commit to the rotters. You got to commit to the buggers. That's another New Zealand term. I don't know. I can't think of any American terms that are okay to say in church. You have to commit <laughs> to your kids. When, they, when they're not pleasant to be around. You gotta, and kids, teenagers, you got to commit to your parents. I'm serious. You, you don't know half of what you, what you think you know. You need to commit to some Naomi parents in your life and lock in and say, I might not understand you. I might even think you're a little bit bitter, but I'm making this journey with you because God put you in my life. Of all the people that you can question or not question, look, your parents, God gave them to you. There's no doubt about it. You didn't pick them. They didn't pick you, all right? Neither one of you might be too happy about the situation right now. But we need some commitment, some loyalty. When it gets difficult, when it gets hard, that's where loyalty is tested. As long as you're walking alongside people, they agree with every single thing you think, and they think just like you, and your Facebook buddies, and you're sharing their posts, and they're sharing your posts, and all that's wonderful. But as soon as you disagree, that's where loyalty is tested. And they get, they, they, they get to Bethlehem, and Naomi says, hey, I have this great idea. How about you, Ruth, how about you go out and collect a bunch of the leftover stuff in the field? And Ruth's like, well, what are you going to do all day? <laughs> Naomi's like, I'm going to sit here with my feet up, drinking lemonade. And Ruth does it. See, this is the thing about loyalty. You, you're going to have to deny yourself a little bit. If you're going to value people, if you're going to be loyal to people, you're going to have to defer what you would rather do in order to bless them. And each time, just like in the, the, the drawing is so cool, because each time you see that, that the day starts off with Naomi telling Ruth what to do, and usually it's more work for Ruth. <laughs> it's not work for Naomi. Naomi is educating and instructing Ruth, and Ruth looks like she's getting the bum end of the deal. She's kind of like, she's, she's, she's the workhorse here. But, but Naomi is, is got and Ruth's loyalty to Naomi, even when it seems like she gets the short end of the stick, even when she's the one who has to go out and do the work, she's still loyal. That's what loyalty means. It means that even when it doesn't work out that well for me, I'm still committed to you. And this is how you have marriages that last 40 years. This is how you have marriages that last. If anybody, if you just, you just got married last week, let me just tell you, you're, it's not 50-50. Divorce is 50-50. Marriage 
is 100% that you give to the other person, and sometimes they don't give 100% because they're not as cool as you, and they're not as awesome as you. And, and, and you know, I mean, because you are awesome, all of you, everybody's single here, you're just, you're just impeccable. But, but, but some of us don't, re- like, you, you, some, there's going to be days that you're going to give 100, you're going to get 70. And, and, but this is what it means. And so often we're looking for compatibility, which compatibility is not something that you find. Compatibility is something that you create. You create compatibility through loyalty, through years of, of saying, I'm going to give 100% today. I'm going to give 100% tomorrow. Not because I feel like it, not because I think they deserve it, but because I committed to this relationship. And the same is true with church. And of course, it's been abused. Uh, you know, people kind of use church to, to become abusive oftentimes. But man, it's good to have commitment to a local church. It's good to find a church, to find a pastor, to find a spiritual authority that you lock in with and then stick with them even when you kind of are on different pages. Like when they bring coffee into the sanctuary, the actual booth is in the sanctuary, the actual info table is in the house of God, and we we, we eating donuts and sugar and all that stuff. Like, like I, I know some people like walk, and they're like, oh, I don't know about having that. No, no, it's, it's in here, and just, just, just bear with me, just stick with me, it's all good. Nobody's gonna go to hell because of the donuts today. I, I, I'm telling you, if they do, we'll, we'll pray for you, and you'll just get saved again. You're like, we'll, we'll go out the door, you'll, you'll be saved, it'll be all, it'll be all good. Good. It'll be okay. There's going to be stuff that we do that you might disagree with. We might, we might, there might be things that are a little bit odd, a little bit different. But, but as long as we agree about Jesus, as long as we lock in about who God is and what he's done in our lives, you, you just find some place and lock in and submit to that. And you'd be amazed what God will do. You'd be amazed what God will do. So often Tommy was telling me stuff that I was like, I don't think you need room temperature bottled water at the pulpit in a glass. Like, can it be in a bottle every once in a while? Or, you know, can it be a little bit chilled every once in a while? There were times I was taking chilled water because people thought they want, he wanted chilled. I put it in the microwave, right? And so I'm miking the chilled water. No, no, it's got to be room temp. You know, I'm feeling the bottle and stuff. I mean, but so that, you say, oh, that's kind of ridiculous. Yeah, it is kind of ridiculous. But people are worth ridiculousness. People are worth it. Ruth says, look, Naomi's worth it. It's a little ridiculous. I'm out here. She's in there. But people are worth it. And when you submit and when you decide to serve, man, God, God is setting you up. God is linking your destiny. God is setting you up with his plan for your life. There's a, there's a story that I want to conclude with, and it's a story of a guy named Jean Vandevold. I, sh- I shared this uh, at the men's retreat. Jean Vandevold is a professional golfer. Um, he started in 1989, and in 1999, Jean Vandevold is in the British Open, and he has a seven-stroke lead on the 18th hole. If you don't know anything about golf, that means he's going to win. He's going to win the British Open. He's got it in the bag. The dude is just killing it that day. And even the announcer, I've been watching it on YouTube, the replays. Even the announcer is like the golfing gods are with this young man. Uh, He is having an amazing day. Jean Vandevold is about to win one of the biggest trophies in all of golf. I mean, they're practically sketch etching his name into it. They're writing a big fat check for him. I mean, this is a good day for him. He has one hole left, and he's seven strokes ahead. The other guys who are close, they've already finished the hole. It's a par four, which means you should be able to get in the hole in four and in, in four swings, right, in four strokes. And and as a par four, he's been in this course three times before. It's called the Carnoustie. 
nicknamed the Carnasty because it's kind of tricky. There's like this, there's this little river that runs through the middle and it's a little bit tricky, but, but Jean has been there before three times in fact, and uh, he got a birdie, a birdie, and par. So he's got this. I mean, as long as he gets a double bogey, he wins. Double bogey means two over par four. Anyway, six, six strokes. He's got this. And so he steps up to the tee and he reaches back to his caddy and he takes a driver. And the announcer says, whoa, this is odd. You know, it's an English guy. He's like, whoa, this is odd. And he's got a driver. What's odd about it? It's not odd that he's, he's you know, leading from the tee with a driver. What's odd is that he doesn't need a driver because he has a seven-stroke lead. He just needs, you know, seven iron, get himself 100 yards down the green, another 100, another 100 on the, or down the fairway, and then on the green, and then put it in and go home with the trophy. But instead, Jean steps up with a driver. This is, you know, 250 yards he could send this thing. And it's a tricky, it's a tricky hole. And so he, he lines up, he drives it, and uh, he sends it about 250 yards. Well, the bummer about that is it's about 10 yards off the fairway. It hits the fairway, rolls off into what's called the rough grass about this tall. Now, you know, the, now he was lucky because it didn't roll into the water uh, where you get a penalty. But still, when it gets in the rough, it's a little bit harder to control your accuracy for your next shot. And so Jean's kind of like, eh, it's all good. He's got a seven-stroke lead. And so he walks on down the fairway, and then he, 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 he gets to the rough, and everybody's expecting him to sort of chip it over this way onto the fairway to set up a good shot to the green. But instead, he completely ignores the fairway, and he's looking at the green, right? Like Golf 101 says, get on the fairway. <laughs> the guy in Des Moines, Iowa said, get on the fairway. Everybody's silently praying that Jean will just get on the fairway. But what is he? No, no, he's going for the green. And so he's got his, I think it's a two iron, and he, he chips it. And of course, the accuracy is a little bit off because uh, he's, he's trying to get on the green. It's about 200 yards away from the rough, and it veers far off to the right and careens into the stands. There's a wall there, and it bounces off the wall. And the look on his face, he's a Frenchman, and so that, that's kind of fun as an American just to see that. But his face is like, I can't believe that that just happened. Because now he knows that his options are even less. It bounced off the wall on the other side of the, of, of the river, of the, of, of, the, of the berm, as they call it. And it's in grass. It's about knee high. Now he goes over to the grass. And, of course, he's about, you know, 10 yards from the fairway. Just chip it over to the fairway. Come on, just chip, Come on. But, no, he's going for the green again, about 50 yards that way. He turns. He swipes it. He can't get the power in that grass, and it falls right into the water in the middle of the pond. And that's when, like, the announcer's like, somebody needs to go down and get him a bottle of brandy. And uh, I'm like, really? Wow, okay. And so, you know, like, he's in trouble at this point. His face falls. He takes his shoes and socks off, rolls up his pants, stands in the river. And he's thinking about hitting it, you know. Everybody's like, oh, no. And so he finally, he takes the penalty, takes it up. And so now he's four strokes in, and he's just on the other side of the water, which is still tall grass. And so, again, he goes for the green, and he lands in the bunker that's in the green. And then he chips it out of the bunker, and then he puts it in, and he gets in seven strokes, so he ties, and then he loses in the playoff. <laughs> and um, 15 years later, in uh, 2000. 14, he was interviewed by, by, um, by ABC, and I was watching the interview. The interviewer was asking the same question that all of us were asking. All you had to do was get on the green. Why did you, or, or, all you had to do was get on the fairway. Why did you keep going for the green? Well, all you had to do was get on the fairway. Why did you keep going for the green? 
And, I, and, and so before I can really judge him too much, I've kind of created this sentence for all of us. Because this is one of the things that stops us from loyalty, especially when it comes to people and relationships. And, 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 the, and the statement is, all I had to do was fill in the blank, but I. There's a lot of all I had to do was, but I moments in life. All I had to do was apologize, but I kept arguing. <laughs> all I had to do was forgive, but I kept thinking about it over and over and over again. All I had to do was walk away, but I stayed. All I, all I had to do was shut up. <laughs> Some of you might need to just scroll that in there. But I kept talking. All I, all I had to do was give it to God, but I kept trying to fix it. <laughs> all, all I had, all, like, there's a, so many moments like that in life that you look back and you're like, man, all I had to do was get on the fairway, but I had this idea, like, I got to get on the green. It's not working. I'm going to keep swinging, right? I don't know if it's just guys, but if it's not working, we just swing harder. That's all we do. If it's not working, we just keep swinging because, because for us, it's, it's easier. Sometimes it's easier to do what we think, what we think helps us. Sometimes it's easier to do that than it is to do the simple thing of just getting on the fairway. Fifteen years later, John Vandervold is being interviewed, and the, and the interviewer says this statement in several different ways. He's trying to get Vandervold's attention, and, and Vandervold kept answering in a very similar way. And I have this sentence for, for us because this is often how we answer. And he said, why would I start off with a seven iron when I could lead with a driver? Why would I go 100 yards when I could go 250 yards? Why would I apologize when I could prove my point? And she could know that I was right. Why, why would I give it to God when, when I can fix this? Right? Like, why would I? Why? So often stubbornness stops us from loyalty. A stubborn, persistent desire to make sure we do it our way stops us from being loyal to people, stops us from valuing people. And even though we say that people are worth it, and we say that we value people, oftentimes we say things like this, why would I when I could? Well, the answer, John and Harry, the answer is that, well, what you could do and what you should do are two different things. You could win the argument. You could. But you could also lose the friendship. You could uh, fix it yourself. But you also create more problems in fixing that problem. You could uh, keep on talking. But you're going to keep on digging yourself deeper and deeper and deeper. Like what you could do and what you should do are not always the same thing. Just because you have the power to hit it 250 yards doesn't mean you have the accuracy to set yourself up for the next shot. Just because you have the ability to, to storm out of the room or to get in your car and just take off doesn't mean that that's setting you up for a good return when you come back in the driveway. You know what I'm saying? Like just because you could do something doesn't mean that you should do something. 
And life is not just, just these moments. Life is, is a succession. Life is building. Naomi and Ruth, Ruth is building her life. Every single step along the way, she is building momentum in one direction or another. And, and Jean, Jean Vandevold was building his way. He was creating momentum either in losing or in winning. He was putting himself in even more and more difficult situations because each, each time he tried to go for the green, he got further, further in the rough or further in, into the bunker or further into the berm. I mean, each time he kept trying to do it his way. And he wasn't willing. And even 15 years later, he said, no, I played it the way that I play it, and I lost. And that's fine for him. If you want to be a loser here. <laughs> that's cool. And, and, and at the end of it, he said, well, you know, because the, the announcer said, well, well, you know, what do you think people could learn from from your 18th hole. He said, well, they could learn that it's just a game. And I said, I'll bet he wasn't saying that on the 17th hole. I never heard Tom Brady say, yeah, it's just a Super Bowl. It's just a game. I mean, he's lost, but, you know, he's never, anyway, he's never said, you know, he's never said it's just a, because when it's your job, <laughs> when it's what you do every day, day in and day out, you've dedicated your life to it, it's not, it's not just a game. This is your life. This is a, what feeds your family. So often we disengage whenever we keep going for the green and we just can't seem to get there. We walk away and say, well, it's just, it's just a marriage. Well, it's just, it's just Naomi. I mean, it's just mother-in-law. It's just, it's just, it's, it's just that because, because I couldn't do it my way, so I'm going to devalue that. I'm just going to say, well, it doesn't really matter. I'm cool. I'm fine. I'll go back to Moab. Everything's good for me. But you miss out on what God has for you. It's not just... A mother-in-law. This is a link to what God is doing in your life. It's not just a game. If it's not, it's it's not just a marriage. It's not just a kid. It's not just a life. These things are important. They have eternal significance. Did you know that your just life is only going to last 70, 80, maybe 100 years if you're lucky, but eternity is forever. You don't ever get out. You don't ever get, get a redo. You don't ever get a do-over. You are in heaven or hell forever. And what you do right now in these 100 years, 50 years, however long you're alive, affects all of that. It's not just a marriage. It's not just a game. It's, it's serious. It's important. It's important what you do and how you treat people. It's important how you live with people. It's important what you, what you do to people. In fact, Jesus thinks it's so important that when he divides the sheep and the goats, he puts the sheep on one side, the goats on the other side, and he looks at the sheep and he says, you guys are well done, my good and faithful servants. You come into heaven. And they say, why? And he says, because you treated people well. These other people. The goats, they're dragged away into everlasting torment. Whatever you think that means, it's not a vacation in the Bahamas. Everlasting torment. And when they ask why, he says, because I was hungry and you didn't feed me. Because I was in prison and you didn't visit me. Because you didn't treat people well. It's very important. Your life is very important. It's very precious to God. Other people are very precious to God as well. And I would like to invite you, if you, if you, if you say, man, I've, I've, been, I've been on the wrong side of this. I haven't been loyal, and I need, 
God's grace and I need God's help in my life. I would just invite you to receive that help today. Let's close our eyes for just a minute, bow our heads. And if you wanna receive the grace and the help of God today, just raise your hand and let's just pray together. Let's, let's just come together as, as people, as humans who need help. Let's go ahead and raise your hand and say, that's me, I'm, I'm, I'm needing that and I'm gonna pursue that. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, okay. Okay, so for the, all those who raise their hand, actually everybody, let's just pray together. Let's just come to the Lord together and say, dear God, I need you. <laughs> I, I, 